Hello and welcome to episode two of the Build Value by Choice podcast show. In this episode, Walt Hampton is my guest and he and I discuss freeing up the business owner to focus on activities that yield long-term value and secures their future. Walt is an expert in personal freedom, business value, creation, and his various accomplishment includes he is the founder and chairman of Summit Success International. He is a business coach, a management consultant, and a leadership trainer. He is the founder of the Consultant Success Formula. He is the best-selling author of Journeys on Urge, Living a Life That Matters, a two-time winner of the North American Book Awards. He's also the author of The Power Principles of Power Mastery, Do Less, Make More, Have Fun. He's a graduate of the Cornell Law School, and he has practiced law in the areas of corporate and commercial litigation and criminal defense. He was also the managing partner of a law firm for more than 30 years. His website, www.summit-success.com, and also his personal website is www.walthampton.com. So if you want practical, ready-to-use ideas and action items that you can implement immediately to help your business, join the community of like-minded listeners and learn how to reduce your work load in your business in order to enjoy time with your family. Tune in now. Good morning, Walt. It's Good day to you. It's so nice to, to see you and to be with you. Thank you for the opportunity to join you. Fantastic. Walt is such a, such a great mentor and motivator in the industry, and I'm glad to have him here. So, Walt, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about you know, just for the purpose of our audience, but if you want to just kind of give us a little bit more about some things about you that maybe people might not know, and what are some of the things that, some of the messages that you're putting out there for business owners to know about? So some of the things people might not know about me is my real love is high altitude mountaineering, ultra distance running, and blue water sailing, which I believe that we ought to be building businesses that allow us to have great lives and not simply working to live. And what happens way too often is that we create these amazing things that are our businesses and we get lost in the weeds and we create expensive indentured servitudes that don't really give us the lives we want. So I'm all about the F word. I like a lot of fun in my life. Fantastic, fantastic. What are some, what are the maybe two to three biggest, you know, issues or problems you see going on as far as the small business world is concerned? Well, I would say um, in no particular order, number one is that we don't think about creating a real business from the get-go, which is to say that a, that a real business is an asset that you can sell. A real business is something that you can leave and walk away from and continue to have running, even if you're not there. It's like a generator in your garage. It ought to require just periodic maintenance. And so 
first and foremost, we don't begin to ideate, we don't begin to think, we don't begin to create the systems and processes that really allow for the creation of a real business. A corollary of that is that for many, a business, um, many businesses in your audience create their businesses as forward-facing of as themselves. That is, they're, they tend to be personality-based businesses as opposed to brand-based business. There's nothing wrong with either one, except it's harder to pull out of a personality business and create it as real business. And without any kind of long-term plan to think about that, it's, it doesn't usually happen. And then the third thing I would say, because you asked me for three, is that people fail to create or are slow to create the systems and the processes at a granular level that will allow them to be free. Fantastic. Thanks. So what are some of the reasons why you think, is it, is it a lack of will or a lack of skill or somewhere in between? What are some of the reasons why business owners don't systematize their business as much as they should? Well, there are a number of reasons for that. Um, number one is that it is very easy to get lost in the weeds of a business, very easy to get lost in the service delivery of a business. And if things are working, if things are growing, if people are coming in the, do the door, and of course, at the moment in time that you and I are recording this, we are at a inflection point in history, we have perhaps a once in a generation opportunity of growth and economic prosperity ahead of us, even though there are a few bumps in the road. But we have this amazing opportunity. And what happens is when we get busy, when the money is coming in the door, when we're doing service delivery, we lose sight of the meta import of creating the processes and procedures. At the other end of the marketplace where we're where we're like scraping for the clients, we don't perceive that we've got the time to create the, the systems and the processes. So all of those things get relegated. The other, the second piece, because there are three here, the other piece is that we don't have a long-term, and I know you talk about this, a long-term vision of where we want to go. So as you mentioned at one time in a former life, please don't judge me, I was a trial lawyer. Uh, and uh, as a trial lawyer, I was in front of a lot of judges and juries and I had to prepare for a lot of trials. And my trial advocacy teacher at Cornell Law School decades ago said, start with the end in mind, start with the closing argument. Where do you want to get to? And so many of the people that we serve, they don't know where they're ultimately getting to. So they, they're not building toward that. And then the third thing that comes back to my love for the F word is that, we, that so many entrepreneurs and business professionals get lost in their businesses to the exclusion of their lives and they become very unidimensional. And so it's just one day after another. Fantastic. Fantastic. One of the things that I've heard from business owners is employees. They find it challenging either hiring the right talent or people with the right kind of mindset where they can delegate things to so they can focus on the long term. And also the fact that given this pandemic world that we live in, there's been some government regulations which incentivize people to not either go to work or they, they also have to compete with big businesses for talent. What are some of the things that you see about 
challenges that business owners are facing, small business owners especially are facing as far as acquiring the right talent or just getting the, the may able, being able to essentially incentivize their existing talent to either step up or just be able to take on some of the things that need to be taken over the plate of these small business owners? This is such a beautiful question, and we can go in a variety of directions with it at tactical and strategic levels. But I'm going to uh, approach it from a level that a lot of people miss, and that is from the level of vision, mission, purpose, and values. What often happens when we grow businesses, particularly when we get stuck in the in the the gears of our business, when we get stuck in the service delivery, is we lose sight of why we built the business to start with. That's, you know, where are we going? What's the end game? What are we trying to achieve? What is our vision and our mission for our work in the world? My passion is that I help mid-career professionals take their background and experience and pivot and create highly paid consultancies. Because I believe, and, and this I believe statement is that Way too many people are unhappy with their work. Way too many people stay stuck in work that doesn't light them up. And as Howard Thurman once said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive, because what the world needs are the people who are alive. And so I am driven. Our company is driven to help people step out in a big way and live their lives as lively, joyful human beings. And that's what drives me. That's what drives our company. That's, that's, and from that perspective, then, with a very clear vision, mission, purpose, and values, we get the people who want to attach to that mission because the research is really clear that above a certain level of compensation, it's not about the compensation. What people really want, what lights them up, what gets them out of the office, what helps them overcome the inertia or the fear is they're attached to something larger than themselves. And so our job as leaders, if we really want to attract the right people, if we want, really want to engage our people, we want to retain our talent, we got to reconnect with what that juice was for us initially. And if we never had that juice, we better damn well start getting that juice because that's what's going to allow us to go the distance. Fantastic. So, you know, just like Michael Gerber also says, it always comes back to the owner needs to sometimes look in the mirror and find out, just find the fire that led the business in the first place. And maybe that can inspire the employees to step up. I, I love that. I love you and I share that love of Gerber's work. And um, yeah, so much, so many business challenges are really personal challenges in disguise. And it, and it starts with leadership casting the vision. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that is so great. Um, now the, in terms of, I'm of the firm belief that a lot of times when you would mention something about people get, you know, business owners sometimes get caught in whether it's acquiring clients or some other thing and they lose you know, track of why they started the business in the first place. And so what, had not, what ends up happening is they try to please too many people and then they end up selling, it's like a big giant menu. And when you have a big giant menu, it means a lot of overhead costs because you got to, you know, customize the different things. How do we, because um, I know a big thing about your um, your whole approach is scaling businesses. 
And I believe that one of the ways to scale is to sell a few things to a lot of people. <laughs> but for, for some business owners, they feel like if I sell a few things, I may be missing out, right? So how do we convince business owners about you know, the balance that you know, selling a few things in the long run, you know, skills their business a lot further than you know, trying to be too many things to too many people? I have a really simple, compelling answer to that question. Your listeners need to put themselves back in their own position as consumers. Let's assume for a moment, God forbid that one of your listeners gets off of this broadcast and her niece, her nephew, the sister calls and says, Johnny collapsed on the soccer field. They took him to the hospital, he's a 17-year-old. They found an aortic stenosis, he needs surgery. I'm beside myself, you have to help me. And you being a good sister, brother, you say, of course I'll help you. And you go out into the marketplace then to help your sister find the right cardiologist for the job. And you find yourself a general cardiologist who's got a great reputation and a good reputation for a bedside manner. And you go out and you find another cardiologist and she's been on the faculty of some university for a lot of years and has done a lot of research and she's well-respected. And you find a third cardiologist and she's been um, in the market for 15 years and her specialty is 17-year-old males who have aortic stenosis. All things being equal as consumers, particularly at a high level, we want narrow. We go narrow. We want the person who does the thing. We don't want a buffet. We don't want a doctor who does a little dermatology on the side or a little taxidermy on the side in addition to the cardiology. We want the cardiologist who knows this particular thing. We do it for high-end kitchens. We do it for forensic accounting. We do it for um, the type of restaurant we want generally. We can go to an all-you-can-eat buffet and sometimes we do, but if we want to go out for a nice dinner, maybe, you know, do you want to go for an Italian dinner? The Italian restaurant's not selling Taco Bell. And so as consumers, we go narrow. For some reason, and you alluded to it, for some reason, entrepreneurs think, if I cast my, wet net, my net wide, I'll make more money. Just the opposite is true. So we teach the entrepreneurial paradox, which is narrow is power. Narrow is power. I like that. Narrow is power. Oh, fantastic. Now, what about you know capital? One of the things that one of the challenges that a lot of times small business owners you know, run into is with the 2008 financial crisis and you know a lot of these um, issues, global issues that have happened ever since. There was a bit of a squeeze in these community banks. A lot of them went out of business and things of that sort. So capital flow had been really tight. You know, credit, you know, the credit market and whatnot. So. What are some of the creative ways that business owners are, you know, that you've seen that business owners are, you know, handling these, you know, going about handling these challenges with as far as, you know, recapitalizing their business or getting more capital inflows to be able to scale their business if they want to? So I'll go back to something I said as an aside, but I truly believe it, which is at this moment in time when we're recording this, we are in a once in a generation moment. And there, if anything is going on in the economy, there is um, probably too much money afloat in the economy. Uh, and 
you know, I'm not going to get into politics as to whether the Fed ought to ought to tighten that or reduce the um, the money supply. But right. suffice it to say that just like 1918, 1919, that gave rise to the Roaring Twenties, we are on the threshold of what will be our Roaring Twenties, whether that will be a year or three years or five years, I don't know. But there's a lot of money to be had and a lot of opportunity to be had without necessarily refinancing or recapitalizing. Now, having said that, um, I always like to look internally before looking at going and borrowing money to capitalize. How can we add more value in the world? How can we double down and where's the low hanging fruit to generate more revenue for ourselves? I think there is, um, and you mentioned 2008, I, I built this business 15 years ago into the teeth of the Great Recession. So I am intimately familiar with the challenges of that time. Um, I think the knee-jerk reaction to go to, uh, to debt is potentially um, detrimental to small businesses because you end up eroding, and I've worked with a number of these people, you end up eroding control of your mm -hmm. own business over time. And so I would always look to um, equity. I would always look to the low-hanging fruit for adding more value. I would always look toward um, where we can increase the revenue side without going to debt first. Okay. What about this notion about, you know, the good debt versus bad debt? Because I've also heard that from you know, the rich dad, poor dad, that, you know, not all debts are the same. And if you want to grow, it's, you know, the, the quote unquote, the wealthy ones tend to grow. And I guess it depends on the business that you're in. Real estate folks may leverage the debt markets to as long as you get in an asset that brings money in. Is that, how does that factor into your thinking as far as advising small business owners uh, regarding that? I know you favor um, equity and, and other areas over debt, but is there any kind of, if they're in a squeeze and don't have enough equity, you know, coming in, um, is there any particular debt that, you know, if they were to dip in, you would suggest that, okay, you could compromise here. Well, debt that can be, I mean, you mentioned um, uh, rich dad, per de poor dad, you know, debt, debt that is at prime where you can go out and um, make more money than you're paying in interest, that's good debt. I mean, if you can borrow money at um, 3% or 2% and you can make 5% or 8% on that, that's pretty good. That's good. If right. that's, you know, and, you know, you're securing it by, you know, if it's unsecured debt, that's great. If it's secured by the receivables of your company, that's great. Where I think a lot of people run into, into trouble and it's, you know, it's, it's jazzy and it's snazzy, particularly at the top end of the market that you serve is, you know, going out and getting um, venture capital or, uh, equity partners, you start diluting the value of your holding, and that has cost to it. I'm not saying there aren't benefits to it, but I think um, with respect to good debt, debt and bad debt is what can you leverage? Now, before we went live, we were talking about the unpredictability of life. I have future cast the roaring 20s. I could be wrong. Um, so would I want to have um, some debt that I couldn't leverage that was 15-year debt right now? I wouldn't want that. 
that wouldn't be real attractive to me. Right. So, you know, we can future cast, but we've got to be prudent. And there's one other thing that I just want to drill home here. And it's what gets most people into trouble. And it's the thing that then drives them to ask the very question you're asking, which is where can I get more money? They are not focusing on the single most important metric in their business. And that is profit. If you are not looking at your profit like every week, you are missing the boat. You ought to be looking at your um, net, your gross income and your net income. You ought to be looking at your profit number because that profit number is the only number that matters. I work with a lot of people who have very snazzy product and program launches. I had a million dollar program launch and they've got, oh, that sounds really sexy. Except when you pick up the, uh, you know, pick up the hood and look inside, you realize, oh, they had a 1.1 million ad spend. Oops. Okay. Yeah. So profit is the key metric that so many people miss. One of the things that I tend to talk about is, yeah, profit is good. But what about, uh, like, I also tend to talk about the multiples of profit. Because uh, I'm always looking at if an acquirer or some kind of um, external, whether it's a bank or an acquirer or whatever, maybe looking at what is the, what are the future profit yes. prognostications for your business? Yes. So, I mean, is that something that you factor into in terms of the profit? There is the current profit and there is the future profits. Well, the future profits, if, you, if you've got no profit, it's very difficult to talk somebody into the fact, not impossible, but it's difficult to talk somebody into the fact that there's going to be future profits. So, you know, your, 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 your past performance can be predictive of right. future results when it comes to enticing somebody in the door. That's not to say that you don't have a really solid business model. Amazon ran at, uh, ran in deep debt for, you know, I don't know, a couple decades. Right. Um, and there's an example of a business that has exploded and taken over, taken over the world, if you will. Uh, so, you know, it's possible to have a business model that you're going to run at a loss and investors see the potential. But for most of the people we see that if they're not focused on profit and they want to go and sell their business as their end game, it's mm -hmm. going to be really difficult. The other thing, um, and it's another major asset of a business, particularly the businesses that you and I serve, is the thing called the list. Um, I've sat at negotiation tables mm -hmm. um, and seen deals go south because the list either isn't big enough or isn't engaged enough or isn't current enough. When I was coming up through business, the, the sign of your power and your influence as a lawyer was the Rolodex on your desk. Now, most of your audience doesn't have any clue what a Rolodex is, but it was this file folder of cards, business cards. And the more, the bigger your Rolodex, the more it showed you had impact and influence in the world. Today, it's the size of your list, your audience, the people that you're engaging with. Uh, and that's another big, important asset of your business. And then, of course, you know, you and I have talked about IP. So all of these things are important things to keep your, mind, uh, your eye on. But your profit 
the stuff that's coming in the top end of the business that you're keeping, that's like the gasoline, the petrol in your tank. That's the only number that matters at the end of the day for most businesses that we serve. Fantastic. Now, what do you see as um, like in terms of, we talked, I think earlier in the, in the conversation about the urgent and the important. What are some of the things that you feel are maybe, may not be as urgent, right? But they're important and therefore maybe where we want the business owner to be focused on and maybe delegate some of the things that are more like urgent. Like for instance, yeah, you need to look at your profit numbers, but maybe that's something that you can get like a salesperson or, or your finance person to look at, or as you focus on building systems and documentation and those kind of things that actually scale the business, like list building that you just mentioned, things that when it comes time to the negotiating table will actually be highly valued. So I'm going to give you just a little pushback on the, pro- on the profit statement. Right. Um, I think that the owner um, cannot delegate um, the review of the numbers. Sure, you can have somebody else uh, deliver you the reports, but you as the owner, the owner, the CEO, the founder, the majority shareholder, you better know that number. And you better know it currently. I better be able to call you up and say, what's that number today? And you better know it. Um, but you ask a, um, a really important question, and I'm gonna start with a slightly different concept in the answer, and that is that you and I, um, we each have what we call a zone of excellence or what is often called a zone of excellence. My passion, the way, place I lose myself, the place where I do my best work is as a coach helping people grow and scale businesses. My one-on-one work is near and dear to me I have an amazing group of clients that I love on, that I've worked with for a long time. That's where I do my highest and best work. I should not be getting lost in email. I should not be getting lost in some landing page where the pixel has failed the fire. I should not be getting lost in some Infusionsoft campaign that isn't working. That's not where I should be lost. And so, the answer to your question begins with identifying where that zone of excellence is and anything that's not in that zone of excellence, it ought to be delegated to other people. And, you know, that urgent and important thing that comes up, you know, a lot of our, our audience members, a lot of our people we serve, they wake up in the morning and the very first thing they do is they look at their email. They pick up their smartphone. Your email inbox is somebody else's agenda for your life. Stay away from it. Get someone else to go in there for you. I think I, I think I may have seen a, a post from you on that. <laughs> oh, I'm passionate about that, man. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I guess you know we can bring this into a close. What are some of the top three takeaways you like for our audience to take away from this in terms of your messaging to them? Some things that they can like right after this, maybe take away and start acting on. So number one, I would encourage your listeners to reconnect with the things that they value most. One of the exercises I take our clients through very early on is write down the top five values that you have on the left-hand side of the paper. And on the right-hand side of the paper, write down the top five 
places or things or activities that you spend your time on. And, you know, for me, my top five values are my health and wellness, my relationship with my beautiful wife and business partner, Anne, my kids, my freedom to adventure and to climb and to uh, run long distances, and my ability to do my creative work. Those are my top five values. I would encourage, you can steal mine or your audience can steal mine, but I'd encourage you to come up with your own. Right. Uh, and then on the right-hand side, write down the top five places or activities that you spend your time on. And what often happens is that it's work, business, email, work, email. And there's nothing wrong with either list. There's no judgment. Both lists can be just fine. But where all of the, the distress, the discomfort, the dis-ease, the upset, the overwhelm, all of that comes from a discontinuity, a lack of integrity between the two lists, which is to say way too many of us are spending our time on the things that we do not value. And so this comes back to my belief that we ought to be building businesses that light us up, that give us great lives, that allow us to express ourselves in our highest and best way in the world, to bring our unique gifts to the world in a way that is joyful and fun. And if we're not doing that, it's time to, it's time to recalibrate. It's time to, to, to reassess whether we're doing it, we're doing it right, we're doing it in the right place, we're doing it for the right reasons, or whether we need to tweak and adjust because life is short. If the last 18 months have shown us anything, life can change on a dime Joan Didion in her uh, uh, beautiful memoir, The Year of Ma Magical Thinking, says life changes in an instant, in an ordinary instant, and it can. And so there is no time to waste. Because at the end of our lives, nobody's going to care how many deals you closed or how many LinkedIn's you linked in or how much you updated your Facebook status. They're going to care about whether you lived richly, fully, deeply, joyfully, that you've shared love, that you've connected with other people and you've done the work that leaves you fulfilled and without regret. So that would be number one. Number two is remember that you're not a machine. I say at the beginning of my Time Mastery keynote, um, the great thing about being an entrepreneur I love being an entrepreneur. The great thing about being an entrepreneur is that we have the freedom and the flexibility to work whatever 18 hours of the day we want, which is, you know, I, 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 get, a, I get a nice laugh out of that because everybody goes, yeah. And, you know, I, I, we teach what we most need to know. My business partner, my beautiful wife, Anne, and I, you know, we love our work so much that it's very easy for us to gravitate back into it as a default. And if we're going to have richful and balanced lives, then we need to become better stewards of our time, which is, of course, related to that value proposition. And then the third thing that I would leave your people uh, with, and I think this is congruent with what you talk about, is know that closing argument. Know that thing you're working toward. Know that outcome that you're working toward. Um, you know, people will ask from time to time, you know, what's your exit strategy or, you know, uh, what? And, and so where do you want to go with this? 
you know, it's very difficult to do business planning um, longer than quarter to quarter. We know that after the last um, 18 months. But we can future cast about where we want our lives to go. And our lives will, you know, the sands of the glass will run through no matter whether we ideate around it or not. And I believe that we have the capacity to co-create these things that are our lives to be masterpieces. And so becoming intentional co-creators of this great gift that we have. Fantastic. Well, thank you so very much, Walt, for your time. Our audience will certainly appreciate the expertise and wisdom you share with us this morning. And uh, talk to you soon. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be with you and for with your audience. Thank you for having me. Thank you.